The OFM. The OFM. The OFM. Mark has a little wiener. Have you ever dressed the wiener up? Yeah. Who writes this stuff? Are you guys lost like I am? It's like some intern at NBC News Channel writes this crap. Something is wrong here. The study's being published today in the Annals of Neurology. Illegal butt injections. I am never going back in the water. Stuff summer. All right, well, welcome to the first episode of the OFM. Uh, the OFM is a, uh, a term that I'm not sure if I made up, but I'm going to claim credit for it. Uh, the OFM is the oh fuck moment. Uh, I'm Tom. I'm Ryan. And, uh, and together each week we're going to tell a story um, to each other and to our dear listeners that try and make us say, like, fuck, that's, that's a crazy story. And um, I guess the hope is that you, uh, you pass that story on into a bar or, like, you know, you, you're with your friends and uh someone jogs your memory and you go oh i heard this crazy story about uh you know x y and z so we're, it's a public service really we're, it is a public you know, service. we're providing people with yeah. interesting stories the ofm psa exactly yeah, yeah. enough <laughs> acronyms enough acronyms all right we'll stick it with the ofm um so when we're, we're not really anyone so just a little bit of background on us um i'm tom uh and I'm Ryan. Which we already said. Yep. Uh, I <laughs> am a filmmaker. Um, and uh, yeah, and Ryan, what do you do? Uh, I have recently graduated from university. Yes. And I, well, I did uh, engineering and science mm-hmm. um, and looking at going into graduate work, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if Nothing you, at the moment. <laughs> if, if you can get it. Yeah, uh, that's right. What, what did you study, Ryan? Uh, I did aerospace engineering and physics. So, so I think it's safe I'm going to say... repeatedly show how little I'm suited to start telling stories about <laughs> technology and science. So I, I think it's safe to say that we're probably both coming at this from uh, slightly different angles. Exactly. All right. Well, hopefully we, um, we cover all of the spectrums there. Um, so yeah, like I said, each week we're going to tell each other a story. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. Should we have like a point system? I feel like there needs to be some kind of competitive nature to this. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to some sort of trophy. Okay. Um, okay. You know, cup I could put my winning champagne in or, or you. <laughs> that, that would uh, be preferable. You're coming in this thinking you're going to win. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I guess. Okay, yeah. so I, I, I like... I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with... <laughs> I, li- I like the idea that we're already becoming competitive before we've even uh, yeah. read a story. This is something that, you know, we should we should put out on the table. Competitiveness yep. for All right. the best story. Well... No, no, it's not. It's, you know... No, it is. <laughs> uh, so I think I think that's settled. Uh, there, there's going to need to be some kind of uh, some kind of physical trophy. We'll, um, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, before we jump into it... Um, it's the Olympics at the moment. Uh, have you been following any of this Ryan Lochte stuff? Oh yes. Oh, what's he going to do next? Is it, where where is he? Where is he at the moment? Has he I, gone Edward Snowden and like disappeared into a, a Hog Hog Airport? Like is he back in the US? I think he's back in the US. So from what I could gather, he managed to get on a plane um, before uh, Brazil Customs could take his passport off him. Um, which I mean, you know, good on him. He left the other three by themselves uh, yeah good, good olympic spirit there yeah, that's it exactly really, it <laughs> what um, it really counts yeah do what you can to support your teammates uh but yeah basically like yeah he, I, I only saw some headlines of this in the news and i'm only bringing this up because it kind of relates to what i'm what my story is going to be um i saw some headlines in the news that basically were like oh you know like ryan lochte and three other swimmers from the american team get held up at gunpoint uh then it comes out that they were drunk and maybe it wasn't getting held up at gunpoint. And then, like, footage has come out today where it's basically, like, they were destroying a public toilet at, a at a um, like, a gas station while they were drunk and uh, a security guard took his gun out, which is apparently the only, like, 
common commonality between the stories. Yeah, uh, told them to sit the fuck down, which they promptly did because you know you're in Rio and some what someone pulls a gun. Yeah, uh, and then and then he just like basically next morning bails up and bails, and then like the other three are left there not to be able to like you know to do anything. What um. Like one, what was the need to come up with some heroic story? Uh, like he's not, he's not. Is it just he's defending his pride so or something? Or now this is now this is where it's going to get tricky because I didn't read the article. I only read the headlines. So don't quote me on this. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, I I read a headline that said that he made up the story to cover up. And again, I'm reading a headline here uh, for cheating on his girlfriend. Now I don't know if that's like you. You like a child does this? <laughs> well, a child. It's. It's kind I of mean, weird because children, yeah. <laughs> children have relationships. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, 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 right, right. Um, it's kind of weird because, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a weird story. Uh, what was that? Anyway, uh, it was just a weird story, um, which yeah, I found I found really strange. And like, the, yeah, and the, and the second thing I was going to say was, um, did he not give the press conference with his teammates? So uh, I haven't seen the press conference. Maybe I swear he did. Maybe seeing it on TV. I don't know. I don't want to say. It, but I, I thought I'd seen like you know the, all four of them were lined up and he was giving the interview. Oh, maybe not. No, no. Maybe ignore well, that. Well, I mean, he's like he's a pretty prominent figure in the US swim team. Um, you know, he's you know he's all over the, I guess all over the TV. I just find it like it's really weird that you would give an interview just completely fabricating something and then be like. Well, fuck, I'm out of here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah know, right, it's right. Just, it's just kind of baffling. But anyway, uh, I was just trying to grab my phone here. Uh, I read just before you came to record this podcast that uh, one of the other guys with him, James Fegan, I think, uh, just paid 14 grand uh, basically to an anonymous As charity. As a charity, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to an anonymous charity in Rio. Uh, so the authorities are going to give him back his passport and he can get in a plane and uh, forget that he was there. And he, apparently the US, they get about 25 grand US per gold medal win. That's like their kind of like bonus from the US team. Okay, so that's, you know, that's pushing a silver, perhaps. No? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, he was part of the, the men's four, um, the freestyle team. So okay. I was going to um, say with Phelps in the team, you know, silver's probably about as good as he's going to get. Yeah. So, but yeah, if he's in the 4x100. Well, you know, he was in the 4x100 uh, and so he won gold in that. So that's 25 grand, 14K out of that. He's pretty much right. half, half yeah. his uh, winnings just to get the fuck out of Dodge, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good profit, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, that was something that I found interesting. interesting this week. Anything in the uh, in the news that you found interesting? It's all just uh, oh, yeah. Olympics. Yeah, mainly Olympics. I don't know. I right now, um, I I just thought the the Trump train uh, <laughs> has been really interesting. So um, Donald Trump's campaign advisor Paul Manafort, or his chief of staff Paul Manafort, resigned. I don't know if you know much about Paul Manafort. No. Maybe that's worth a story. He <laughs> yeah. uh, he consulted for, for 50, a future episode. Exactly. He he has. Shady links to uh, or has consulted for, for Viktor Yanukovych, the Ukrainian um, president who was ousted in the oh, yeah, revolution yeah, yeah. in yeah. 2014. Um, and last week they found $12.7 million payments to Paul Manafort for consulting work. They knew he had been paid, they didn't know how much um, from the Ukrainians, right? They, they, they and, literally and this, found. This is Trump's like right hand man. Yeah, this yeah. is the chief of staff yeah. of his campaign, yeah. right? Shady guy. They, they essentially like found um, a book with like Cyrillic like, um, writing in it, a ledger of payments to the guy. So there's like, that's shady as fuck. Anyway, so he um, gets fired for. <laughs> the funny thing is, he was the guy that Trump considered um, to too conventional like he was trying to get trump to be too mainstream and too so like everything we've seen so far has been under the leadership of a guy that's like 
Trump. You need to like tone it down a bit. Yeah. So Trump- now he's just like, no, I want to be Trump. Let let's do this. So yeah. he goes up to the story this week was that um he wanted to hire a uh, or he has hired uh one the head of Breitbart News, which is like an alt right oh, yeah, 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 like no, crazy yeah, yeah. you know yeah conspiracy yeah. right rag 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 yeah. exactly. Um, so he's now the uh, chief campaign officer yep. or whatever. Um, never had any campaign experience before. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, Trump's, Trump, <laughs> Trump's demonstrated that you don't need much experience to right. just get out and do it. Exactly. And the other guy he's hired was uh, Roger Ailes, the recently disgraced Fox News uh, <laughs> chief, yep. ousted for sexual harassment. So yep. I don't know. Uh, we might so, be sitting at a turning point here where Trump, we're going to look back and think that Trump had a reasonably like... <laughs> You know, sober and real, you know, realistic campaign message from, from here on out. It's, it's the true gonna, Trump. The, the Trump train. As yeah. if, did, yeah. you, did you see those um, statues that uh, were that popped up like yeah, in five American yeah. cities? Like the what was it? The um, the um, fuck what? It's like the some the something has no balls. What was Caesar? Um, emperor. Yeah, emperor. I think, has I think no, it was the emperor yeah. has no balls. Sorry, or I, emperor has I, no clothes. Head. I know that's a, that's a saying, but oh, okay. Uh, oh, so, so, on the, so okay, that that makes sense then. On the statue was. Uh, it was just like naked Trump, uh, like little dick, little fingers, um, no balls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, little fingers. They just shouldn't have done anything. No, no, just just little fingers. fingers were enough. Yeah. All right. Um, and yeah, it was just inscribed. It said, you know, the the um, the emperor has no balls. And oh, nice. like in five cities, like in New York, Boston, um, I don't know, I'm making that up now. I know it was those two. Um, these statues just popped up like two days ago overnight and people were just like, where did they come from? But apparently <laughs> some art collective you know somewhere along the line good on them um yeah i thought it was pretty funny um uh flies everywhere in this place um so look i i hope you know the trump campaign i'm I'm pretty sure there's a good good couple of stories in there that'll be worthy of future episodes i think so um keep a listen yeah anyway i thought that was i thought that was pretty funny the whole trump thing's fucking crazy yeah it's like i'm so far away from it it doesn't affect me to a point at all but it's so fucking crazy i know it makes no sense. Yeah. Anyway, have you uh, have you ever heard of Anthony Godby Johnson? I can't say I have. No. 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 Tony. T- no. No. Well, you probably heard of a Tony. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I was going to say like Tony short for Anthony. It's it's not like you gave me the full name and <laughs> so, then have you no. heard, heard of this other guy, <laughs> this Tony? Other guy, no. I've, I've, so. No. Uh, Anthony Godby Johnson. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of him. Excellent. Uh, but first, we've got to set the scene a little bit. So, uh, know much about New York in the 1970s? Uh, no, I do not. Okay. No, you Even haven't, better. You haven't seen, um, what is it, The Warriors? Have you seen The Warriors? No. Come out to play. No, no. Okay. <laughs> we're going to watch The Warriors together. Um, great film. Um, so basically it was pretty like fucking crime ridden. Like it was not, uh, it was not the place that it once was in like the, you know, the golden era before yeah. the stock market crash. So like the, you know, the, was it the roaring twenties? Yeah. No. Roaring, Ro- roaring forties, anyway, swinging something, the swinging something. Yeah, it was in like the twenties, you know, yeah, the, the uh, yeah. golden era. Okay, I'm aware. It's seventies well. Seventies like economic economic downturn, yeah. like crazy. Um, Arkham and, Asylum shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just pretty then. much what Gotham. Ha- what happened? Yeah. To Gotham. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah fucking not a not a great place to be in the 70s you know and then it got cleaned up and then there was all the stuff that happened sort of through the 90s and then you know post 9-11 and then into um 2000s and now it's you know economic sort of hub that it is but 70s not a great place Mm -hmm. um so basically there's in my research um when i was trying to just put together some stuff about you know the background of you know the era and the place uh i found out that people would get off the plane at what 
I think it was also JFK Airport there, but you know what is now JFK Airport. Um, I'd be handed a booklet called Welcome to Fear City. Uh, and it had a cartoon. If, you got it, if you're rich in some commodity, you may as well try to make money <laughs> yeah, off it. That's exactly it. Uh, play to your strengths. What yeah, is it? Yeah. Steer, steer into the curve. Um, steer into the skid. Um, uh, it had a cartoon portrayal of death on it. Uh, you know, the old hooded figure. with so, the, Is it a sickle? Yeah, um, yeah. Whatever, whatever death has. Um, and a motto on it that was... Uh, this is what the like the the subtitle of it was. Until things change, stay away from New York City if you possibly can. I bet this is Los Angeles like governors <laughs> just you know getting in. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically um, right. a list of survival tips on how um, to not get your ass. Wait, and this was handed out by authorization from like the government or something. Or, like you know. The I'm going to be skipping forward a few sentences here, but uh, this is this is what I had written. Oh, and by the way. Uh, it was the uh, the city's police force, the old boys in blue, the uh, NYPD, who were handing out this pamphlet. Uh, and this this had to do with um, uh, there was a whole bunch of like, I guess because of the economic downturn, there was a whole bunch of like budget. sort of budget cuts and all that right. kind of shit. So the the boys in blue weren't weren't super happy, and they were trying to um, maybe overplay yeah. the the state that the city was in, um, so that you know they wouldn't have to deal with you know too much shit. Yeah. Um, so some hot tips within the bloody pages. Bloody unions. Yeah, bloody unions, mate. Um, so some hot tips within the pages were along the lines of, uh, and I'm, I might be paraphrasing here, um, don't leave Midtown. That was one. Uh, don't fucking get on the subway. Might be paraphrasing. Uh, and for fuck's sake, if it's after six o'clock, lock your, dogs, lock your doors, hug your family, and uh, and just hope for the best. Hudge. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a blanket on the song. Yep. Hudge uh, kids, hudge wife. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. Um <laughs> Yeah, so basically, like, I, I looked at a couple of photos um, that was associated uh, in the article that I read about this Welcome to Fear City thing. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some photos and it kind of looks a little bit like today's Baghdad. Um, I think, you know, they were taking select frames of the city to make it look as bad as, as it was. But, I mean, there was, like, some blokes just, like, playing cards or dominoes or something in, like, this fucking, like, torn-out building. Uh, and basically, yeah, from from what this, what this Welcome to Fear City pamphlet um, said was, uh, it was basically the city was a shit heap that turned like its residents into thieves and pretty much anything that wasn't fireproof proof into ashes. Did you just get that as well? Yeah, that was... <laughs> There's a fucking ghost in the machine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think we're back. Uh, let me just check that, that's still recording. Yeah, we're still good. Um, <laughs> so basically, that, yeah, that was, you know, a bit of an effect. I, I have control of the effects. <laughs> reverb. Sorry, continue. Uh, DJ Steve yeah. over here. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, yeah, anything that wasn't uh, fireproof was pretty much just burned down or was like, you know, anyway, it was, it was shitty. Um, so I'm not really sure why tourists were going there at the time, if it was this bad, but I think that's, you know, like I said before, the NYPD were, you know, up in arms. And anyway, I'm, 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 I'm darting around some facts here because this is just one article I read and I thought the booklet was cool. I want one. Um, so if anyone's got one, send it to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you don't want it. Um, so having said that, uh, yeah, by a number of accounts, the city wasn't actually as bad as right. what it uh, what it sounds like in this in this context. Um, nor was it as dramatic as it uh, as it sounded. So um, it was super cheap as well. Uh, that's why you know you had all the artists who moved there and through okay. like late sixties into seventies and eighties was all your sort of post punk and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then it, you know it all got cleaned up. But yeah, like apparently during the mid seventies there was a fair amount of violent crime. Um, where am I? Um, yeah, and yeah, I think what I mentioned before, yeah, the economic, uh, like, kind of economic shitty show that was happening at the mo- uh, at this time 
kind of froze i think it froze hiring processes for the nypd um from like 76 to 80 or so um like uh, 1976 to 1980 um so no one was getting hired even as there was more crime so like that was like spread pretty thin um so that's the context now we'll do our boy tony uh a little anthony uh, anthony godby johnson from from here on out uh tony um uh, so he was born in 1978 uh, the actual date uh, is not really clear mm-hmm. uh, his parents were nothing special sort of like in terms of like community members or anything like that um, but his dad was a cop his dad was uh, you know a street cop in the NYPD at the time uh, so apparently a bit of a serious man um, who very clearly had trouble separating his work life uh, and his home life given the fact that foreshadowing foreshadowing well given the fact that by uh, Tony's 12th birthday uh, his dad had been beating him basically for about 10 years and oh, shit, okay. handballing him around to his mates to be raped um, Jeez, okay, since Jesus. he was about 4 so what the fuck foreshadowing indeed oh, okay uh, alright that took a turn so um, his dad was clearly a piece of shit yeah so this little kid's been like fucking handballed around the city in this pedophile ring and beaten Jesus. up and yeah, it's, it's, it's shitty stuff. Um, I'm not really sure what was going on with the mum at this point. Um, but yeah, for that sort of formative period, uh, his dad had been not only beating him, but like depriving him of food, um, proper bed, like proper affection, like really shitty, sh- uh, shitty stuff. Yeah. Um, so you'd think that uh, maybe Tony might be a little bit fucked up, um, but not exactly. Uh, it turns out he was wise beyond his years, Ryan. Wise beyond his years. Well, that's uh, silver linings, I guess. Well, yeah. Uh, he's extremely intelligent uh, and had one of those weird, like, old soul thing going. Right. You know, like, okay. have, you ever, have you ever met, like... Met an old soul. Well, I was going to say, have you ever, like, been just talking to a child who's, like, I don't know, under 10 or something, and they say something and you're like, wait, like, how the fuck do you know that? Or, like, why are you saying it like that? Well, like, I've, I've had times, like, where I work at a cafe every now and again, I'm not going to say all the time, but every now and again. Um, and every now and again, there's there's kids who come in who it's just like you're like you're not fucking six years old. Like how are you talking to me like that? Yeah, like, yeah. Anyway. Yep. No, I think no. I guess I guess from what I read, it was a little bit a little bit like that. Um, uh, yeah. So um, I'm not sure who it was. Yeah. So this this kid, street smarts, you know, wise hmm. guy. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think yeah. And are we talking? Um, is he still 12 years old at this point in time? Or are we talking like... Yes, he's at, 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 yeah. the, at this, at this no. point in time, yeah. he's 12. Right. Um, so basically, yeah, uh, I'm not really sure who um, took note of it at the time, but someone took note of the fact that he was pretty intelligent and he ended up at one of those like school for gifted children in Brooklyn. Um, so I guess things were looking up for old, mm-hmm. old, uh, old Tony mm-hmm. or young Tony. Uh Young Tony. Young I, Tony. Well, he was he was in the uh, in, in Brooklyn, so no, uh, not the Bronx. Oh, Which okay. one's the more mafia one? I don't know. I've got to watch my mafia films. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> um, so with such a rough upbringing, um, you can imagine it left a little bit of emotional scarring on the poor boy. Um, uh, and during his eleventh year, so eleven, twelve years old, um, he went through some pretty like suicidal depression, which led him to a suicide hotline, which in turn led him to a social worker who was sent to rescue him. Turns at twelve, eleven to twelve years old, right? Like it's fucked. Yeah. Her name was Vicky, okay. and Vicky will be an integral part of this story. Okay. Vicky. 
Vicky. Nice to meet you. Uh, once he was out of the shit, uh, he was obviously taken for medical checkups and treatment. Uh, and it was found that um, due to being passed around a pedophile ring for pretty much the entirety of his life, uh, he suffered for some, from some pretty advanced stage syphilis. Uh, so oh. much so that it caused yeah I know right he's fucking 12 years old um, so much so that it caused permanent damage to his lungs um, so I didn't know too much about syphilis before I listened to the dollop episode have you listened to it? no not no. that, not that well one. there's an episode of uh, the dollop uh, great podcast um, uh, which called I think it's called like syphilis in America um, but basically yeah, syphilis is just a fucking nasty disease anyway right. it, it fucks you up um, so due to his shit upbringing, he was pretty fucking sick. Um, not only for the syphilis destroying him from the inside out, he'd also contracted AIDS. Um, basically, this is the golden era of uh, yeah, HIV. 70s. I mean, because he's no, well, he was born in seventy eight. So this is twelve years later. So what's that? Eighty? Uh, it's like ninety. Ninety. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah. And uh, when he was like fifteen, so a couple of years after where we are right now he had to have his leg and his testicles removed because of the AIDS it's like it's so fucked uh, and he was pretty frail due to having his bones uh, broken on about 50 occasions from the beatings um, oh, I'm looking, I'm looking at your face right now and you're just like it's such a bummer I know it's, yeah. a, it's a terrible part of the story it'll, it'll, get, it'll get better I promise I fucking hope I so <laughs> I, I've, got, I've, got to, I've got to come out of the gates like firing right um, see Bill Gates <laughs> <laughs> and then he Is went on that? to become the richest man yeah. alive uh, no okay um but yeah, so he basically said, fuck it. Um, and he wasn't going to be overcome by a setbacks, Ryan. I told you it was going to get better. All right, good. That was, that was a nice pivot. Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, uh, once Vicky had taken him uh, in, she ended up adopting him. Uh, so she was now his legal carer uh, and moved him to her residence across the river in Jersey City. Um, so if you remember, I said he was super intelligent. Uh, he was kind of also like magnetic as well. People... Um, were drawn to, I guess, what they described as like a pretty good sense of humor given how fucked up his life had been. Uh, and yeah, they were kind of astonished by the strength of his character and, and people just wanted to help him, uh, young Tony. Um, this part of the story just here, like this little paragraph was like really hard to research. There was like nothing about it. Like everything was glossed over. Um, so I'll kind of gloss over it as well. But apparently the guy on the end of the suicide hotline that he called that then passed him on to Vicky... Um, his surname was Johnson, uh, which ends up coming full circle because Vicky and him married each other. So he basically um, he came to visit them both in Jersey just to see how they were doing. Started up a relationship with Vicky. They got married. So Vicky is actually Vicky Johnson after this guy. Uh, and the three of them moved to the Midwest, um, somewhere in the Midwest, undisclosed, um, where the pedophiles of New York City could not find them, um, which I guess makes sense. But yeah, so not much info on this part. It was a bit sketchy. Um, and apparently, uh, in this time, Tony's biological father um, was arrested um, due to the abuse, which mm-hmm. makes sense, uh, thrown in jail and subsequently murdered, apparently. Yep. Um, again, that's a little bit of a sketchy part. So, do we need a recap or are you, you good? No, I you, think that's... Right, you're in. I'm, I'm sufficiently depressed, like, but hopeful for yeah, the future. Uh, hope for the future. Um, so, despite literally falling apart uh, at the same Tony decided to pen, to pen a memoir about his life. Um, he's 14, so I guess it's totally fine given the fact that it's been a fucking crazy little life. Um, so put put a little book together. Mm-hmm. Um, he apparently got a computer from the Make-A-Wish Foundation um, and focused on putting a positive spin on his life by making it about overcoming the adversity um, rather than, you know, I was raped for 10 years of my 12-year life. Um, 
the book, which was called uh, A Rock and a Hard Place, um, was published in 1993. Um, apparently, it was super successful uh, and incredibly well-written and received, especially given the fact that he was a first-time author, author and he was 14, 14 years old. Um, so through this process, um, some people got word of it, including some big film um, people who were trying to get uh, a HBO to do a story uh, on his life at the time, and they were throwing some considerable money mm-hmm. behind this project. They felt that... Um, this kid needed to have his story told. Um, and included in the people, um, there was like friendly mentors uh, to this boy. They would call him on the phone and stuff. Included uh, was a guy called Armistead Morpin, who was a, a novelist and writer at the time and went on to become a screenwriter. Um, I don't know much about him, but um, Morpin didn't think uh, think twice about it. And um, he also didn't think that it was sort of weird that he was developing uh, such a close friendship over the phone with a 14-year-old boy, which... Uh, given the circumstances yeah. is I'm wary now it's understandable given the circumstances um, so this this guy um, no sorry this, this is what Morpin had to say this is a quote uh, it struck me as wonderful he was saying I love you in the way that a kid says it to a parent or adult that's really close to them uh, said Morpin it's a level of intimacy that was quite extraordinary maybe even stronger because it was just on the phone just a voice in the night talking to you who seems to understand you to respect you to need you now, um, Morpin, Morpin's a gay man. His partner at the time, uh, his partner now and at the time, uh, is HIV positive, and his best friend was like on the verge of dying from AIDS uh, as well. So, the fact that he has struck up a relationship with this like mid-teens boy who's going through some similar things that him and his community are going through, mm-hmm. I guess, makes sense. Like mm-hmm. he, you know, he wants to, sort of, to the, yeah. exactly. So it's you know, once I sort of found out about it, I was like, all right, it's a bit. It makes more sense. He was more, I guess, guiding him through this time in his life you pass this gate mister <laughs> yes yes move um, on to the next level <laughs> you're allowed to you're allowed to go yeah uh, so Morpin um, and others would go um, they'd obviously found out via Vicky where they lived but they'd go over and meet oh yeah they <laughs> some, no. some red flags I, red flags um so Morpin uh, and others would go to the house in the Midwest um, to meet uh, Tony in person, but Vicky would never let them in, citing that the boy was in far too poor health to take visitors uh, and that any germs introduced to the environment could literally kill him, which, by the sounds of it, they could. I mean, this kid had, like, one leg, no balls, like, no immune system. Like, he was he was not in good shape. No. Um, so he just continued the phone conversations um, and did all he could to help kind of give this child a brighter life than the one that he'd come up in Uh, but then Ryan around 1994 people started to talk Uh, why hadn't they do yeah they do people have a chat a little whisper uh, a voice in the night as one of them would say a dark voice in the night Uh, why hadn't anyone of all of these literally literary uh, and entertainment industry mentors who were on the phone uh, with Tony why hadn't anyone met him in person uh, they all knew that he was super sick and felt that Vicky was warranted in uh, being uh, in being <laughs> yeah, wary right. about strangers coming to meet him at home, uh, given his previous life. Uh, after all, they'd moved the family out of the city to hide him from this pedophile ring. Uh, at what seems like roughly the same time, um, a bunch of people, including Morpin and other writers, uh, journalists and people connected to the story, started putting the pieces together and realised that one... Uh, no one but Vicky uh, and the suicide hotline guy, Johnson, uh, had actually ever met young Anthony Godby Johnson uh, in person. Uh, not any of these mentors, not his agent, uh, not his editor, nor his publisher uh, had met him. 
uh, and that strangely Ghost Rider <laughs> Exactly, it's the definition of Ghost Rider <laughs> um, And that strangely his voice uh, As well as Vicky's and Tony's GP With whom uh, some had spoke with uh, Were incredibly alike um, Now Morpin was busy working on his next novel uh, A work of fiction based loosely on his experience with Tony um, About a man who begins a long distance phone conversation uh, with a child and his mother um, This is something that he told Tony on the phone uh, And so as not to alarm him Once a novel was released, uh, released. Uh, Tony being a smart kid Responded that he was old enough to know truth from fiction And Vicky agreed So She would She would Fucking Vicky um, Some time passes So Vicky I'm just lifted this straight off Wikipedia this part Because um, there's a lot of like dates in this one So uh so Vicky Johnson, whose real name uh, was Joanne Vicky Fragonals, uh, had allegedly handed Anthony over to another ca- had allegedly handed Anthony over to another caretaker in 1997 uh, when she moved. Uh, so th- this was 94 when people were starting to talk shit. Right. Uh, so in 1997, she'd um, apparently handed him over to another caretaker when she moved to Chicago and married Mark Zakheim, uh, a child psychologist and owner of the Associates of Clinical Psychology. In 2004, Zakheim was indicted for abusing child patients uh, at a treatment center for troubled children uh, in Indiana. His trial began in 2006. I wish people could see your face right now. Yeah, wait. <laughs> uh, just basically... I don't know wait, who to hate now. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Where are we? What's happening? <laughs> uh his trial began in 2006 at the Marshall County Courthouse. Uh, he was acquitted of one felony count of practicing medicine without a license and three misdemeanor counts of battery for inappropriately touching boys. So three years later, Zachheim uh, was found. So what are we? That's 97. So 2000. No, that's 2004. So 2005, 2006. Um, three years later, Zachheim was found in court again, confessing to accepting Medicaid, which I guess is Medicare kind of deal. Um, for patients no longer uh, in his clinic, accepting payments before services had been provided or for services never received, billing for therapeutic services uh, when no licensed therapist was on site, billing for more expensive therapy services uh, than provided, and fabricating diagnoses. Diagnoses. Thank you. Uh, in 2009, Mark Allen Zakheim was charged and sentenced to prison in federal court on felony charges for aiding and abetting healthcare fraud. Zakheim died of a heart attack in November 2009 before his sentence was served. Is Zakheim Vicky? <laughs> Sometime... Be- well, no. let's get there. Sometime Shut between up, 2007 <laughs> and 2010 or so, Vicky died. Uh, since the alleged death of Vicky Johnson, Anthony has seemingly vanished and has not been in contact with any of his previous supporters, leading credence to the assertion that Tony never existed. What? <laughs> So, vi- so, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, any questions? What's going on? Okay, so Vicky mm-hmm. has a story, or is allegedly in the care of a child who was abused at some point. Yes. And then, in 1997, yes, that child conveniently gets handed off yeah disappears and that would make him 19 by my count right right he's born in 78 uh yeah yeah. ish yeah so 80 nice oh it'd be like it'd be like 17 sorry yeah Yeah. so yeah all right yeah hand it over yeah and then a few years later sorry don't check my maths i'm confused yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's i'm pretty sure it's not actually uh 80 17 19 19 okay Yeah, you had it right. right first OG. Time. Yeah. 
<laughs> yep. So 97 hands over and she goes off to marry fuckboy Mark. All right. Who by all accounts was a bit of a fuckboy. Yeah. Yep. Um, with the whole child touching thing and the fraud. Yeah. Right. But I mean, yeah. So between 1995 and 2005-ish, a bunch of evidence uh, has been presented to support the case that Tony doesn't exist. No birth records, no adoption records, no truth to the backstories of the boy in the books, uh, no medical records. And remember Tony's dad? Yeah. Who got shanked in prison? Never happened. There's no case of an Uh, NYPD (laughs) officer being convicted for selling his son to a pedophile ring, uh, at least not at this time. Uh, and yeah, no records of any NYPD, former NYPD members uh, dying in prison at that time. Right. Uh, okay. So in 2007, um, so now remember, um, Zakheim died in 2009, sometime between 07 and 010. I couldn't work it out. Uh, Vicky died. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2007, it was revealed that Vicky had created the fictional character of Anthony and the photos that everyone had been um, looking at that, you know, she passed off as Tony. Uh, turned out to just be some healthy adult guy uh, who was pretty shocked to find out that his photos were being used <laughs> to bring life to this fictional boy that this this lady Vicky oh, had made up. Fucked up. Uh, this guy was also an ex student of Vicky's. Uh, she had just taken a bunch of photos of him and was using them to you know as she as she pleased. Under <laughs> under what pretense? Uh, you know, under pretense that she's fucking uh, insane. Yeah, apparently. yeah. Um, so although the majority of people now believe that Tony never existed, uh, there are still some people that believe that he uh, he was real. Um, and with the death of Vicky Johnson, their claims cannot be completely disproven. Uh, disproven. So that's the story of uh, Anthony Godby Johnson. It's a non-story because he doesn't even exist. And that's the <laughs> OFM. Oh, shit. <laughs> so I, um, there's a, I'll, I'll pass it off in the links or something. Um, there's a little video of this. Um, but basically, Morpin, uh, you know, remember the author. So he, he released a book that he was writing, the one that he mentioned to Tony. Um, and that was then adapted into a film um, starring Robin Williams. Uh, there's an interesting interview um, that, I'll, that I'll post in the links here. Um, interesting interview that I'll post in the links here uh, with a journalist called Keith Olbermann. Uh, so Keith was also one of those people who would talk to Tony on the phone. Um, and yeah, so at the time he was yeah, in a similar situation. He talked to Tony, he talked to Vicky. He had the same thoughts that, they kind of sound similar and yeah, I was why have say, we never met them? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so he got a PI to investigate them yeah. uh, and basically he, he, he was one of the first to discover in his, to, to the extent of his investigation that Tony didn't exist. Um, but yeah, so there's, it's quite an interesting little chat yeah. between the two because it's just two guys who got duped um, and I think Morpin, I can't remember the exact quote, I should have written it down, but Morpin kind of sums it up by saying that like, you know, he doesn't have any regrets on how he treated the situation at the time. He was just trying to be a good person and help a kid that had a shitty life. Um, but you know, on the other hand, Vicky, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'll admit well, I was, I was duped when I found out that Ash from Pokemon, the main character was voiced by a female. So, you know, <laughs> male child vocal cords, you, you're, you mean- you're leaving yourself open to being fraudulently, uh, copied by that that, females. that person also voiced about 17 of the pokemon as well <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah yeah including squirtle oh okay yeah i can see the similarities yeah, yeah, the similarities, yeah, yeah. yeah. um so yeah that's that's anthony uh, uh yeah anthony godby johnson pretty like weird little tale i don't i can't remember exactly how, how i clicked on that one but how something's going on in, in her yeah. mind to have to cook up a story All like right. that i know it's crazy have you ever seen the um the documentary the uh, documentary slash film um the imposter 
Nope. Okay, you got to watch The Imposter. Anyone who's listening to this uh, and has seen The Imposter will automatically connect the dots. Um, yeah, basically, it's kind of like, oh, it, it's very, it's similar to it. But I mean, this actually has real people, so maybe it's not exactly like The Imposter. I just got the same kind of vibes when I was mm-hmm. researching it. But yeah, that's uh, that's Anthony nice. Godfrey Johnson. Yeah. So. The husband, Mark, he had just his own shtick yeah, going on. Yeah, I think I just, I just added that in because it's like... Just the uh, well, I mean, pedophile he, on the side. Well, he's kind of like, he's got weird kid things going on. He's definitely a fraud. She's definitely a fraud if he never existed, which from what I'm reading, I don't believe he existed. I, I think it's definitely just like, maybe she made him up like to right. get a book deal. I, I, yeah. I don't know because like, I mean, she got a book deal out of it and it was, oh, sorry, Tony got a book deal out of it. So who knows? Yeah. Anyway. Um, that's my OFM for the week. What's yours? Excellent. All right. Um, this is going to be a slight change of pace, but um, <laughs> well, I think that's good from all the uh, you know like fake pedophile rings I mean, it's, and oh, it's, by the way, that 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 booklet that I was saying at the start of it, you know, the kind of misleading start of that story. Yeah, that's a real fucking thing. Like, I wasn't making that up. That's a real thing. All right. Next birthday, yeah. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I mean, you know. There is a, an element of depression in this one and just like fucked upness, but you know, that's the topic of the podcast. So, yeah, it is <laughs> nuclear Armageddon. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. uh, okay. I want to tell you about the story of Vasily Arkhipov. Vasily, sorry, Vasily, Vasily Alexandrovich okay. Arkhipov, I believe. Safe to say you're uh, Eastern European, uh, Russian, yes, Eastern European, Russian okay. guy, cool. uh, born in Moscow. Um, he was born. In, on 30th of January in 1926 mm-hmm. um, and before I get into his story yep. um, I need to do a bit of background about the Cold War um, but essentially I'm going to tell you about the story of the guy who saved the world Okay. Right. You, you may have never heard of. That's a, bi- that's a big call. I haven't heard of a, a man who uh, apparently saved the world. Of all the people in the world that you could imagine have saved the world, I think this guy takes the cake. All right. And it's just interesting because no one really hears about him at all. So uh, essentially with the advent of nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. shit goes down, right? Mm. You, uh, you can't really um, wage conventional war. Oops, there it goes again. You can't really wage conventional war with nuclear weapons um, because, as you can imagine, um, wars go from lasting a few months or years to days or hours. You can essentially wipe out entire countries and destroy the world. So during the Cold War, um, there was obviously the nuclear arms race between the Soviet Union and the US. Mm -hmm. um, And the perceived differences in the arsenals of nuclear weapons was like a major... Um, political issue. Right? So is it a bit of grandstanding as like, exactly. I, I've got X amount and you've only got Y amount? Yes. Yeah. And not only that, um, to get elected, um, you could often play off the perceived like differences in military capacity. So there was this, there's, <laughs> there's this phenomenon or this thing called the missile gap. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but no. essentially when, so we'll go to 1960 when, President Kennedy was running for election, mm-hmm. um, and one of the issues was this missile gap, and that was the perception that the there was a gap between the number of missiles the U.S. had compared to the Soviet Union, yeah. and it wasn't like constrained to just missiles. Like I'm pretty sure there was like a uh, a gap in like the fighters, aircraft, and like military capacity. But missile gap, like the term missile gap, if you go back and ask people in the time, that's like a, quite a 
big a thing, thing, a yeah. thing. Right. Um, and Kennedy essentially, whether he believed it or not, um, but, you know, he pushed it that the Soviets were in the lead um, substantially and that the US had to build heaps of missiles. Okay, so so he kind of put the scare in people saying they've got they, they, they've got this cache of weapons and we're... Right. We, we need some money to... Right. To build ours, right? Exactly. we're getting at? Yeah, yeah. right. Um, funnily enough, the US... And, and okay, I, I have to be fair here. He might not have been misleading. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't really looked into whether yeah. he believed it or not. Yeah. It, it may have well been the intelligence at the time pointed to the fact that, yeah, there was missile gap. There wasn't. And I, I think that he actually genuinely believed there was. And, okay. you know, it's just the information at the time may or may not have been accurate. Okay. Uh, in any case, the Soviets... Uh, oh, and the US believed that, you know, the Soviets would only get more and more rockets. Um, so, funnily enough, the Soviets only had four um, intercontinental ballistic missiles. So, so okay. the nuclear weapons previously had been dropped from mm-hmm. aircraft. The, the big thing at the time was intercontinental ballistic missiles. So, yeah. missiles you could shoot. Um, so, the US had well so the soviets had four um and by 62 they had a few dozen although the estimates were that they had about they could have had as high as 75 yeah um the u.s had 170 but they thought that they had less okay yeah yeah, i'm with you yeah but they they didn't know at the time right so there was the cold war was a lot about like playing games yeah yeah, yeah. you know hiding how much you had yeah um and the leader of the Soviet Union Nikita Khrushchev um, mm-hmm. he would go around and say he was boasting that they were just pumping out these these missiles left right and centre so this was really the height of the arms race when tensions were really really high um, so the United States at the time was pretty concerned about communism expanding to other countries especially South America and um, they essentially saw uh Cuba as like a potential area where communism could expand right yep. Fidel Castro okay, in yeah. power um, and they tried to um, overthrow the government of Cuba in the failed Bay of Pigs yeah I was going to say this is Bay of Pigs right. isn't it? exactly yeah so the failed that was a failed attempt to invade and yeah. overthrow right so having seen do you know what I read sorry I'm going to stop you there yeah, go ahead. when I was researching stuff like for the podcast I was uh, I was reading that um, around that time when JFK was going to be like, uh, we're going to cut trade with Cuba, he made his old mate, like right-hand man, whoever it was at the time, go out and buy as many Cubans as he could possibly get. And when this guy returned with like 2,000 Cuban things, uh, sorry, Cuban things, Cuban cigars, cigars yeah, right. basically JFK. Uh, not, not Cubans. Cubans <laughs> yeah. uh, JFK basically got the Cuban cigars in the uh, Oval Office, signed the fucking trade, like, you know, the trade sanction, and that was it. He just wanted to get his, uh, get his right. ciggies first. <laughs> yeah, ciggy butt brain. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, nice. little, little unknown fact about <laughs> yeah, history like is that, that JFK had ciggy butt brain. Yeah. <laughs> but carry, carry on with the story. <laughs> All right. No, that, that adds to their cultural. Yeah, yeah I like yeah. that. All right. Um, so so the, the invasion was seen by Soviets as like kind of the president was a bit weak and yeah. he was new to the job. They saw him as a bit naive and it left him as seemed to be a bit indecisive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so essentially... In May of '62, Khrushchev was persuaded to like counter um, 
the US's growth in strategic missiles and their kind of power by shipping nuclear weapons to Cuba. So yep. this is this is a Cuban missile crisis essentially is what mm-hmm. I'm talking about here. Um, and so they secretly shipped nuclear missiles across to um, to Cuba mm-hmm. under the guise of them constructing just you know normal stuff um and so like what what were they sort of saying that they were doing when when they're doing this like i think it was like oh we're gonna go build some schools or yeah so the knowledge that the u.s had at the time was from spy planes um yeah and so whether the relationship with cuba at the time was such that the u.s could just ask them i don't i don't think it was so they're basically just playing a like an early version of like a top-down rts yeah right exactly exactly good to know yeah um so so you know the u.s would be taking photos and at some point the um the government or you know some analysts saw okay that's um that's not a school that's a nuclear weapons okay. storage facility yeah. right yeah. this is this is how you know the you know Cuban it's, it's funny crisis. how often i've been driving and i've gotten the two mixed up yeah i know 40 hour kilometer zone and you go why it's just a nuclear weapons factory yeah exactly that's I mean, a terrible joke anyway oh, <laughs> continue <what? laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah, Bentley Primary School. No, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> no, centrifuges. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so obviously uh, this is kind of one of the most tense times in the history of you know the Cold War. Yeah. Um, it was, it was very tense just because Cuba was right on the doorstep. So previously, uh, the Soviet Union couldn't get range from their missiles to shoot the uk uh, the us they yeah. could shoot the uk i believe and germany <laughs> yeah um so they were kind of i think the us saw them as just collateral they yeah really care. yeah yeah okay so this Allies, was who needs them yeah exactly yeah. um meat shields <laughs> um all right so so that's that's a bit of the background of what's happening here so there was okay. intense negotiations over the uh, in this late stage of 1962 yeah. um where essentially the us uh, demanded that the Soviets withdraw their weapons, mm-hmm. um, and the Soviets obviously didn't want to do so after after they'd been discovered. Yep. The um, a spy plane had been shot down. Both, um, oh well, um, had been shot down, and so like it, it was kind of the brink of nuclear war. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the Soviets also had uh, these submarines that were patrolling around Cuba. Mm-hmm. Or, heading around Cuba and what they would do is um, they would have these protocols for um, maintaining contact with the Soviet high command or head command yeah. so um, there was a certain level of like autonomy for the submarine captain so if they found that there was war um, they could essentially like launch their missiles so these yeah. were nuclear submarines alright so this is where uh, Vasily Arkhipov comes in so Vasily Vasily I keep thinking you're saying Vasily Vasily yeah. Vasily Arkhipov oh he was not silly okay, <laughs> as okay, I think good. we'll soon find out okay. Vasily Vasily Arkhipov um, so we have to go back a bit he was he was a submarine uh, executive officer yeah um, and a year previously so in July of 1961 he was appointed a deputy commander of a ballistic missile submarine mm-hmm. um, and after conducting exercises off the coast of Greenland, um, the submarine developed a leak in its reactor cooling system, mm-hmm. and essentially the cooling system failed, and um, 
the radio communications of the submarine were like lost to Moscow. And so they had no backup systems, no way of communicating with Moscow. And so the commander ordered engineers down to like solve the nuclear meltdown. So it's like, okay, um, we're about to die. We can't tell anyone. There's nothing yeah. we can do. Go down and just like, go and work just it out. go figure out how yeah. a nuclear sub works yeah. and, or, you know, fix it. Yeah. Um, so they had to come up with like, <laughs> they, had, they had to come up with this like cooling system. And in true Soviet style, they just exposed the engineers to radiation. Um, well, I mean, look, you got to break a couple of eggs to make an omelet, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they came up with a solution. Um, they were able to prevent it from, from meltdown. Um, they, they saved they the just, entire they crew. just like tape their bodies to it? I'm not sure. Just I have gaffer tape on yeah. bodies. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, maybe they were, I don't know, maybe they were dealing with like, I think they came up with like a secondary pumping system okay. or something like that. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, Look, or, you I mean, know, you got, like, there's you got no details. They may well have. That's true. Yeah. You know, duct tape. I'm sure the Soviet Union had that <laughs> at some point. Well, um, I mean, if you can't fix it with duct tape and what cable ties, it's not yeah, worth fixing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's either WD-40. Yeah. yeah. If it's like stuck <laughs> and it needs to move. And if it's moving and it needs to be stuck. Yeah. It, cable ties or duct, duct, duct tape. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So Arkhipov was one of the like um, guys orchestrating this and he was... Um, he was got a really good reputation for like solving this issue, and like uh, f- after a couple of years, like fifteen or so, or um, the sailors died, but he was he essentially saved like the entire crew. Yeah. Um, and so so this guy has got this reputation. Um, he's the dude. He's, he's the, the guy. dude. He's the guy. Yeah, yeah. right. And he was like a flotilla commander, so mm-hmm. one of the head commanders of a fleet of a few submarines. Yeah. Um, as a result that was sent around Cuba during the missile crisis. So knowing a bit about what's happening in the crisis and about this um, flotilla commander, Arkhipov, um, we moved to 27th of October, 1962. Um, So his... Arkhipov was aboard a submarine, the Mm -hmm. B-59, near Cuba, and he was... The lesser known the, uh, pop band. Yeah, that's right. The 80s. That's yeah. right. Many Soviet hits. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so this was during the tensest moments of um, of the standoff. Um, and uh, <laughs> rock of vodka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. You were thinking about that. I knew that. I could get there. I knew I could get there. So. Uh, 11 US Navy destroyers and an aircraft carrier mm-hmm. found this submarine. Yep. Um, and they essentially started dropping depth charges to force the submarine uh, up, yep. right? So the submarine uh, dove down um, and was kind of uh, trying to be stealthy. Yep. Um, and as they have a propensity to do. As they have a yep. propensity to do. Yeah. Right. Um, Are you still recording on yours? Yes. Cool. Um, for like five more seconds or did you fix it yeah it's 15 it's still going past 15 actually it's 15 okay cool mine's still going cool I'll keep an eye on it Um, so because they were evading these pursuers Mm -hmm. um, they were going deep underwater and they got cut off from contact with Moscow Mm -hmm. right so they had no ability to communicate with their commanding officers and given what I said before about submarine commanders having certain autonomy yeah um they had the call to launch their nuclear weapons. Ah, okay. I'm seeing where this is going. Right? Yep, yep, yeah. yep, yep. Okay. So they had no idea because of where the standoff was going. Like it was at the moment where JFK or Khrushchev would yep. launch 
nuclear weapons. Yeah, so it was like one or the other. Yeah, at this time. you know, yeah. this is over a period of maybe three days. This was the closest the world ever came to yeah. nuclear war. Um, and the captain of the submarine, Valentin Grigorovich Savitsky, I yep. practice this. Yeah, <laughs> this is why. I, well done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, he he decided he pretty much decided that war might have already started, mm-hmm. right? So some the captain said, you know. So is this because he's at sub, sorry such a depth that he doesn't really have a clear understanding of what's going up, yeah, like he what's no happening, idea. and so he's thinking, well, shit, maybe it's already started, so we may you know we may exactly. as well get into it because because the strategy in nuclear war is like first strike, yeah. so whoever pretty much gets first strike ability will do all the damage. Okay. Um, so it's kind of that, but, that's, but also no one wants to be no one wants to be the first one, right? Exactly. Because then you've got because all, then you know, you've fucking started yeah. a nuclear war. And that, yeah. Exactly, and that's like the strategy is called mutually assured destruction. Okay. Mad, like yeah. the acronym is mad. I think it's like pretty it ir- yeah, pretty appropriate, <laughs> right? Exactly. You it, like me when I'm exactly. mad. <laughs> if you launch it, we're gonna fuck you up. Yeah. So you know, like they'll have, or you know, yeah. if they sense anything, they'll shoot off, and both yeah. countries will be utterly destroyed. Yeah. Um, so it was up to these captains to make these calls. Um, and he that's a, decided... That's a pretty big call for one person to make. Like, Right. Ex- yeah, exactly. And I think I'm going to find out. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, the fact we're here today, no. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so and, and the Russians were also able to monitor like US civilian radio stations, but, yeah. but because they were too deep, they couldn't, they couldn't hear anything. Um, so... Unlike, this is what I think is amazing. Um, unlike other sl- uh, subs in the flotilla, three mm-hmm. officers on board the B-59 by protocol had to agree unanimously to authorize the nuclear strike. Okay. Right? In any other... So sh- it, it's not... Oh, is this... Sorry, go Yeah. On. On, on any other submarine, um, it would be up to... One man. One, the captain. Yeah. And in, is this, in is this, this case, because it's, it's full of nuclear... Uh, no, other nuclear submarines yeah. were there. They it would be up to their captain. But the fact that this guy um, Arkhipov was on board this particular submarine mm. meant that it was like a, a had to be a unanimous decision because he he was um, he was equal in rank to the captain. Ah, uh, so yeah. So he yeah. was he was like yeah, the yeah. deputy, but they one, couldn't they couldn't go above or below exactly. each other. So they had to exactly. agree. Yeah, and he had built up like quite a bit of cachet, like respect, because yeah. of the incident where he saved the entire crew. Mm-hmm. So you know th- that just being a completely unrelated incident allowed yeah. him to be essentially equal yeah. in rank to to this Savitsky captain. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had to decide: Are we going to launch this nuclear weapon? We yeah. have no ability to talk. Um, yeah. We've either got to do it or not do it. Right. Yeah. So there were there were three, um, three on board it was Captain Savitsky there was the political officer Ivan Semonovich Semononovich oh you were so Maslen- close Maslenikov mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. see mine was easy mine was just Tony yeah Tony <laughs> yeah yeah uh, otherwise Ivan short for Tony I'm yeah. sure yeah despite being the same number Tony got above right and the and the second in command Arkhipov so um, so uh, Savitsky had already said we're going to launch it, right? We haven't heard anything. Mm-hmm. We assume war's uh, war started. Um, Sorry, mine just stopped recording. Yeah, sure. It did it? Oh, no, mine's still recording. Okay. I just The brightness just went up all of a sudden. That's weird. Sorry, carry on. Yep. Um, second, uh, Maslenikov, the political officer. I don't know. Why, why would they have political officers on board? A nuclear uh, sub. Yeah. USSR. I don't know. Yeah. USSR, I don't know. <laughs> um, he said yes. We're going to launch. Mm-hmm. 
the decision whether to launch a nuclear submarine was left to Arkhipov. Yeah. And so he said, he, he essentially said, you know, with finger on the trigger, pretty much literally, no, we're not going to launch it. We're not sure. Let's come to the surface yeah. and find we out. Have to, we have to be we sure. We have to, exactly. Yeah. So this is... The, it, it wasn't the case that it was just as simple as, oh, you know, we'll just wait and find out. Because of how nuclear warfare works, if they had already launched or if war had gone underway, they could have come to the surface and it just game over already. There, there might not be anything right, so there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so this is under like such high pressure. And just to add to the pressure, um, because they were under water for so long they <laughs> were having of pressure yeah nah. right well the air conditioning unit in the submarine was failing and of they were running out of oxygen yeah yeah right so so they were they were essentially being hunted down by 11 ships running out of oxygen didn't know whether the cold war was you know whether complete global armageddon was currently underway and mm-hmm. they were the only ones by duty that were supposed to shoot and this guy says no we're yeah. not going to do it um and Essentially, they come to the surface and there was no warfare at all. Nothing had happened. And so he was the closest that the world's ever come um, to launching nuclear war. And that's, this guy just said, no, we're yeah, not going to do it yet. That's like, that's pretty crazy, right? So yeah. imagine now, I always like to think of these situations as like, all right, well, what happens when he like is out of the war, he goes home and he's like laying in bed. Like that's a pretty fucking like yeah. big thing to have on your shoulders, and you're like, "Yes, yeah, up, exactly, what's up." I didn't, uh, I didn't press the button. Exactly, like I, just, and you know, the like nerve a, on that guy. I would have pressed it in an instant. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. It would have, you know, they. No, maybe I would. They had, they had no way of knowing, and and just the tension at the time. Yeah. I think most people assumed that yeah, there was war yeah. underway. I mean, it's pretty crazy that that it didn't happen like at yeah. that time or during that whole cold war era like it was a basically a race to the bottom wasn't it like yeah exactly yeah. and it's not the only time that something like this has happened i think um a the, the soviets in the 80s late 80s or the 90s um mistook a they got a radio signal that turned out to be like a satellite or an airplane um that they thought was a nuclear missile yep um, and uh, essentially, they almost, the they almost similar shut it thing. down. Or like, yeah. Sorry, not shut it down, but also, all, uh, almost launched. And, yeah, they almost launched. Yeah. There was a civilian aircraft that flew over, um, like east, uh, west, eastern Russia. So, like you know, um, Sakhalin Islands above Japan. Yeah. Um, it went off course. It was in aircraft investigations once, <laughs> and they thought Great it choice. was. They thought it was. Um, they knew it was an aircraft that they thought it was like a spy plane or something and they shot down they shot down this aircraft it was, an, it was like an aircraft disaster they sent up um, so the Russians shot a plane down yeah they shot a no way yeah yeah got form on that uh, and and come that was that was a major yeah that's right <laughs> that was a major like international kind of crisis yeah. where that was almost nuclear war and maybe a, a final like when, when was that one was that like that was in the 90s 90s, 90s, yeah, 90s. it was when might have been after the fall of this no it was soviet so maybe late 80s maybe 90s or something um 90 um and to this day um the 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 um kind of not artifacts artifacts of the cold war i guess in that that idea of like mutually assured destruction there's like an alleged um 
mechanism, automated firing mechanism that the Russians have called the dead hand. Yeah. And it's this thing where if like a, a series of like seismic monitors all over Russia mm-hmm. around Moscow um, uh, sense like nuclear strikes that have occurred on Russian soil, they trigger just an automatic uh, an automatic response yeah so, so that 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 was, that was not like a, a, that something that was on yet. during the cold war yeah. and like they had this like uh base that also had like radar mm-hmm. that would sense so um, is the idea behind that that um yeah like there's no if, point if, if if the say the u.s if the u.s launch strikes and wipe out the entirety of russia yeah they're still gonna they're still yeah, yeah so, so it's not so worth basically it's not worth doing it exactly yeah. okay um, it's pretty smart when you think about it. Yeah, right. Like, there's a lot of like game theory to yeah. do with nuclear war. Yeah. I'm glad that at least they put a slight. At least I'm thinking about it. it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's this this dead hand mechanism, um, they communicate between bases over radio frequencies that are like yeah. publicly available, okay. and um, you apparently can hear like if you tune in a radio, you can hear these like coded communications in Russian mm-hmm. to this day. Um, no one knows like what they are or whether they are referring to this dead hand yeah. um, uh, operation. Um, it, there's an element of like conspiracy to it. The Russians deny that it's still no. active, <laughs> but you know, there's, there's like military bases outside of Moscow, which yeah. are like officially denied yeah. um, to be active. But they're getting these signals to and from. Yeah. You know, over radio. So, yeah. so, you know, to this day, there's still this infrastructure that's yeah. kind of, um, you know, a, a relic of the Cold War. Shit. Anyway, so if you've never heard of Vasily Arkhipov, he, he single-handedly might be responsible for everyone since 1962 still being alive. Oh, there um, you go. Yeah, so close calls in the Cold War. That's um, yeah, fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be it's, a very, very different world had had shit gone down differently. Yeah, and you've got to wonder about you know when war gets to the point where individual people can. Make have the fate like of humanity yeah. in their hands. Oh, it's heavy. Yeah. Apparently, uh, uh, us uh, friendly Australians would have been fine. Uh, if, yeah, from what yeah. I've, what I've read, no, no. Apparently, it wouldn't have. We wouldn't have got any fallout from it. Apparently, we would have been thriving fine by now. But yeah. Uh, what could have been? Most liberal <laughs> city six years in a row, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. That's that's some OFMs from both of us. Yeah. Right. Very different. I like that we've gone in in different ways. Yeah. Um, actually, just before. We started recording today. We were both talking about um, <laughs> about different topics that we were going to talk about, but then didn't because we couldn't find a one particular OFM moment. And, and, and we found that like the con- the context for each of our stories was a bit too large that yeah. we would have had to have backgrounded yeah. for. And it turned out we were both just talking about Rasputin. Yeah. Like, <laughs> first episode of this podcast, and we almost did the same fucking topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to work out what's going to happen if we both come on with the same topic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we'll just like it'll just be one big. It'll be a big group love in, and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll OFM all the way, yeah, uh, to the end. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, speaking of the end, thanks for listening. Awesome, thanks, guys. Um, if you did want to get in touch with us, um, we have an email address, don't we? Um, now I'm gonna have to look it up. I think it's the OFM podcast at gmail dot com. I think it's got the in front. Don't hold us to that. Email that regardless. It'll be in, it'll be in the links. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the OFM podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you've got any cool stories that you want us to uh, to cover or if uh, you want to let us know of anything, please do. Otherwise, it's someone named Theo 
F <laughs> Mitchell will be getting weird. He's, he's going, emails. why are you fucking sending me these yeah. emails about <laughs> nuclear war and, uh, and kids, fake kids being molested? <laughs> anyway, that's the first episode done. Awesome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.